I would say in today's America, mm-hmm. if a white male were to wa- walk into the grocery store with a black kid, right, we would most of us would automatically deduce that he is caring for that child. If a black man walked into the grocery store with a Caucasian kid, just one on one, we would hesitate, right, for a second and wonder why is he with her, right? And that's what I'm I subconsciously think about. This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Adopted Mom Podcast. This is season two, episode 14, and it's part one of our two-part finale. I'm Alex Fitton. If you didn't know already, I get the honor of hosting this podcast every single week. And the season two is almost over and we already have a launch time for season three. So get excited for that. To finish out this season, we're going to be talking about adoption and race. And I know that that's a super intimidating topic. Excuse me. And trust me, it's a super intimidating topic, especially for a white woman, especially a white woman who has not adopted kids from other ethnicities. But I have friends that have, I have friends that are minorities and I know how important this conversation is. And I wanted to, um, I don't know, I wanted to participate in that, but mostly I wanted to give the floor to voices of color who just have such a heart for these issues and could definitely speak on culture and ethnicity and nationality and all these important things that our kids who are from other countries or just from other ethnicities, they need to know. And we have a responsibility as adoptive parents to be educated on these issues and to be able to be the best parents possible for our children. Today, we're going to be talking to Tim Yayok. Tim is from Nigeria originally. He's been in the States for a little while now. He's married to a Caucasian woman, and they have a a mixed family, and they're a foster family. So he's right in the middle of all of this world, and he has a lot of awesome things to say. Later, also, we're going to be talking to Faith Gboss. Faith is Marshallese. She grew up in the States, but she has definitely understood the meaning of family and the meaning of culture and understanding who you are and, and where your roots are from. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear my interview with her as well. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys about our sponsor for this month. It's Christine Bauer with her book, Those Three Words. Those three words obviously being, you are pregnant. And this book is a memoir of being a birth mom. It's amazing. And you can find a link to it in the show notes, or you can just go on Amazon and and search those three words. So you guys, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get to it. I think going through um, life with biracial adoption and, you know, um, that we all look different affects the way that we do our life in many ways, um, the way we travel. Um, I know that there's where we currently live. Um, the look of our family is very accepted and um, people don't really think twice about it, but we recognize that in other parts of the country or when we travel and stop at gas stations that are outside of our comfort zone in our home, um, that not everybody carries, uh, you know, that understanding. And so, um, I don't know, I think it just makes us very mindful and very um, sometimes hypervigilant to, you know, will somebody say something to us at a gas station um, that, you know, shows judgment um, or a lack of understanding as to why uh, we would have African-American children in our home. Um, who do we think we are, you know? Um, and so I think that we are just mindful that not everybody has an understanding, loving perception of us adopting outside of our race. And, you know, and, and we, we want to be a family that is open and understanding that not everybody is accepting of that. And then they might have really good reasons for that. So we try to not have a spirit of offense, but we uh, recognize that we also want to protect our children at the same time from anybody that might say something um, that would wound them. You're just very aware of people around you wondering, you know, are they going to do anything besides stare? (laughs) And so, um, so socially it affects us. We're way more aware of what's going on around us than I think people that do not have families that look different, maybe how they get to walk through life. 
Hello, Tim. Hi, how How's are it? you? Thanks. How, how are you, Alex? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> we just, uh, his family came over for dinner tonight, so we just had an evening with like a lot of loud children. So. And dinner was amazing, if I could say. Oh, could. well, thank you. But yes. That uh, was, the cheesecake that, was... that you guys homemade was amazing. Well, well. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> gratefully made by, uh, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, so yeah, I, we live in, we, we live in Fayetteville. Um, I'm actually born and raised in uh, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, uh, an American citizen now and, you know, proud, proud to be, um, I've been in the U S for, uh, going on 21, 22 plus 22, 21, 22 years, um, at this point. Um, my wife, I met my wife, Ashley, about 12 years ago. Okay. And uh, we've been married for uh, about eleven years now, and we Isn't have. It quick. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't waste time. So, uh, <laughs> well, she's pretty awesome. I imagine you had to nail her down real quick. <laughs> well, she. I think. Well, yeah. Yes. No. You're right. You're right. Um, and we have um, two amazing, beautiful girls. Um, uh, one is eight, and the other is three. And we also have a foster, a foster daughter. Um, um, I'll just call her L. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. And you, so you're super outnumbered, right? You're the only 100%, dude. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I am a true girl dad. Yeah. So that's, that's what I, I like to, I'm proud to call myself a, a girl dad. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. seem pretty good at it. So I think, well, I don't know. They're all daddy's girls from what I hear. <laughs> I, I'm de- yes. <laughs> yeah. They, they definitely cling on to, uh, to daddy. So yeah. Your wife is white. Right. And then your foster daughter is also white. Correct. And then your two and girls. And obviously my two girls are, are, are mixed. Yes. So, yes. Um, I'm from Nigeria, like I said uh, a few minutes ago. And so that's in West Africa. 100% black. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Right, right. And uh, just quick, quick, quick blurb um, in, <laughs> or, in interjection here. Uh, when I was in college, at the U- I went to the OVA, by the way. That's how I ended up in, uh, in Arkansas. Um, when I was at the OVA, I, had, I, was in, I lived in the dorm my freshman year. And that year, I remember I was, you know, just talking with friends um, in the dorm. And uh, one girl, you know, she was telling a story and, you know, she was trying to, obviously, she's, she's African-American. Mm-hmm. She's telling a story and, you know, was trying to kind of um, get that relationship of the, the relevance of the story. And she, I, I don't remember the story was, but, you know, at some point she was trying to, you know, explain how what it meant, and again the relevance, and then she was like, "Ah, you just won't get it because you're not black." And I looked at her, I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> excuse me, like what?" <laughs> I am <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't even understand. <laughs> right, but I mean, I, I I understood what she meant at yeah. the time. You know, she meant you're not black as an African American, right? Black, um, not you know. You're not American. Right, you're, right. you're more on the African side of things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so anyway, it was just you know funny, funny, uh, funny That's interjection awesome. there. But yeah, so my, my um, um, I'm uh, full-blooded African, and like Alex said at the beginning, I am by true definition an African American. Um, mm-hmm. And then my wife is Caucasian. Um, obviously, our kids are are mixed, and then we we do have a a Caucasian, full Caucasian um, foster kid. So. And you've had other foster kids as well. Have they all also been Caucasian? So um, the kid we have right now is our third intake. Where this is our third year of in foster care system, uh, with the option to adopt. You know, if the opportunity and you know uh, God was were to bless us with that. Um, but so yeah, we have a foster kid, and this is about our third year in in the process mm-hmm. or in the system. And uh, we've had our first intake was a sibling group. Uh, they were Caucasian. Okay. Um, our second intake was a mixed kid, um, you know, similar to our kids. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then um, the the kid we have right now is, yeah, she's full-blooded, uh, full-blooded Caucasian, yeah. Awesome. So, okay, so let's, I mean, you, you mentioned that you came here from Nigeria in college and you know, now you're, that's kind of like at the beginning of the story. And then now you're in the foster, foster care world. So what about the in-between? Tell us about just how you got to this point and maybe some of your struggles with foster care. I know that you and I have talked before and you definitely have some interesting stories. Some of them are funny, funny, and some of them are funny, sad. (laughs) So let's get into that. Um, so yeah, um, 
you know, like I said, I came, I came here um, 19, 1996. Yeah, I know. If, <laughs> if you, someone were to do the math. Do the math, like right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine. If, if you can figure it out, you know, more power to you. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I came here to go to college at the U of A. And bachelor's degree. Well, I just moved the mic. Uh, bachelor's <laughs> degree, um, master's, a second master's degree. And then obviously, you know, um, labor force and work and making a living and all that good stuff. Um, obviously, it, through all that, I met my wife. I met Ashley and, you know, got married. And we actually didn't have kids for three years um, after we got married. <clears throat> and then in, obviously, like any any other couple, you have the discussions of, you know, how many kids do you want to have and, and things like that. And in that conversation, you know, we talked about uh, being open to adoption. If, mm-hmm. if you know, um, we're, we're not, we're... Thankfully, we're blessed. We don't have an issue with, you know, having kids of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, you know, we're grateful for that. But it was, we just still had that conversation. If yeah. the opportunity for us to adopt um, down the road, you know, you know some, at some point in our lives, that we would be open to do so. And was your faith a part of that conversation back then or did that come later? Honestly, I think that came later. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would say faith wasn't uh, really... Uh, a huge factor or, mm-hmm. or a deciding factor for us at the time. Um, but that came later on, you know, right. just in our, again, in our relationship um, as a couple and then just, you know, with kids and trying to raise them in a, a structured environment and, and such. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I will say, yeah, about three plus years ago, we kind of um, kind of got into the conversation about uh, foster care. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And I will be completely honest and transparent i want us to bite off what we can chew kind mm-hmm. of thing so i i don't want to take on more than we can handle and overwhelm ourselves and you know there's an impact not just to actually myself but to our own um bio kids uh, i think that's kind of where i come from with you know just um, trying to be more i don't want to say controlling but just mindful of okay we have one kid now you know my phone both our phones ding every it feels like every hour because you know the, the right the, yeah the, the uh, social services is looking for placement of another kid and you know it just stungs at your, at your heart strings heart strings but you know you you have to you almost have to I hate to <laughs> almost turn a blind eye but yeah. not not necessarily that you just have to realize okay this is what we can handle and we're mm-hmm. you know we're um, at capacity, if, if you will. And, you know, uh, that's, yeah. But I almost think that's better in a way because it's not that your heart's not in this clearly. Right. But it, if both of you were like, yes, yes to everything, then that would be right. completely overwhelming. And I think that as a, you know, as the, the papa bear of the family, I see that so often is that the, the guy's like, okay, but I got to protect the, <laughs> the flock here. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, there are people out there that can handle that. You know, there are people out there that have, I mean, we've, we've met people that have multiple um, foster kids, you know, with them in, you know, in addition to their bio, bio kids. Um, there are people, I mean, you guys have, you've, you've I feel like you guys have been through more than we have, so I, you know, it's, I don't know that I can speak. We really. never fostered though, so no. But still, I mean, it, it's still the same process, you know, with bringing in a kid that you, I mean, really you don't know, right? right. Um, and loving on that on that child, and and yeah, just providing that environment for them to flourish, and you know, um, um, have that sense of family, that connectivity, and and all of that. So I think. Fostering adoption, yes, they're not really the same, but I think at the at the basis, you know, the the bottom line, really, right. it's, it's really this, you're you're providing a safe space for yeah for kids right. for kids that have no no other option. Otherwise. You're still so, yeah, you're taking something that's not natural and you're right. making it natural for you. Yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay, um, and tell us about some of the some of the difficulties that you've had with being a uh, multiracial family and with um, with your foster care experiences. Right. So, um, so yes, as I, as I said, we, the first intake we had were uh, a sibling group, uh, brother and sister. Uh, they were, they were, we only had them for like three, four weeks, I believe. And that was overwhelming for me. A, it was our first intake. We had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. And B, it was two kids yeah. at the same time you were immediately like right. double outnumbered <laughs> yep and then c 
there was a boy involved and i am <laughs> like i said i'm a girl dad so i i was overwhelmed like you're like what do i do with this? i don't know what to do with this he has too much energy like he wants to just do stuff that i'm not used to so yeah <laughs> it, it just kind of threw me off and you know you can see god at play because i think he could tell that we were getting burned out pretty quick mm-hmm. <laughs> and he made it possible to where they were able to move on to stay with uh, a relative you know Three, three, four weeks into care with us. Yeah. So I think that was, you know, kind of teased, like that was God's way of saying, here's a little teaser of what, yeah. you know, what, what to expect with foster, you know, the foster system. Um, but yeah, just my experience with being a multiracial family um, in this process. Um, honestly, I, I don't know. I, I, I try not to be naive mm-hmm. um, in, in a sense. But I honestly, I don't, I, I tried not to think of it as a color thing or as, right. a, as a racial thing, or I prefer, you know, I want to take in a, a black kid or a mixed kid. Or, right. You know, like I, I, when Asha and I talked about this years ago, that was not even a factor. Like we didn't. You know, say, yeah. oh, what's what's your preference? What's my, you know, that we. That it's always such not, an awkward question when they right. ask you, and you're like, none. I don't know. Like, right. right. I remember. What, <laughs> I remember when we were going through training, and um, you know, you have to go spend like eight hours a day on a Saturday and a Sunday, right? You know, in a classroom, or well, not classroom, but you know, a location with other uh, potential foster families, and um, that you know that question would come up, or that um, they would ask the families that were. Um, um, in training, what your preference was, and, and this, and I remember, you know, there were some families that had a preference of, you know, we're looking for only Caucasian kids, we're looking for, you know, only you know Hispanic kids, and, mm-hmm. and so on. And I remember thinking, like, well, what's wrong with you, kind of thing. And yeah. but then sitting where I sit today, in you know, I'm, I'm I, and I don't claim to have a ton of experience in foster care, but just sitting where I sit today, I appreciate those people that do say. My preference is this, or my preference is that, mm. and not taking that as truly a. I only want white kids because I like white kids, or I only want black kids because I like black kids. That's what I know. That's you know, right. as a person, um, this is what I know. This is what I know. If if I already taken a kid that looks like me, that re- I can relate with mm. uh, in that sense, um, I can give that kid everything that they would need to flourish right as you know if whether it's foster care or adoption or, or whatever it is i can give them what they would need to um to flourish because we can connect in that manner right. so again i try not to be naive in that sense but i think i can appreciate you know the people that i mean there's there's nothing wrong if if you are caucasian or you want you prefer to have caucasian kids i say that's totally fine like i don't i don't see i don't see the problem with at least you're opening your home you're opening your your hearts to someone to a mm-hmm. kid that needs help um sadly we live in a in a time in a, in a society today where everything is you know we we filter everything everything almost through a lens of you know are you coming from this angle of race or you know ethnicity and, and and such to where if someone were to hear that you know in, in a classroom or in a class setting or well, all you want you know this kind of child then we automatically filter you through that lens right you know? and, or is it just a defensive posture right, at that point exactly mm-hmm. um and i i did that that's exactly my right. point like i did that in, when i was in that classroom setting but then coming out of it and being in the you know in the process it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like I have a Caucasian um, kid right now who has been with us for a year and a half. Well, no, a year and sorry, she's a year and a half. She's been with us for a year and two months now. And she's a total, total daddy's girl. Yeah. And I 100% love it. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't like I look at her like she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She has no issues with the fact that we, she and I don't look anything alike, <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. Like I I I get so much joy when we're in public, and people are trying to make you know <laughs> trying to figure. Yeah, it out. they look at they look at the dynamic of you know me, you know uh, Ashley, my wife, and then our two girls, and then uh, our foster daughter, and they're trying to figure out. 
what's what's the relation like who <laughs> is yeah and it's it's like i just you can t- you can tell people are just puzzled and are trying <laughs> to do the math trying to you know dissect what you know who could be with who especially when we go maybe we're at dinner or something with um ashley's family you know obviously they're all, um, all caucasian and then there's you know so many caucasian folks um a couple of mixed kids and then one full-blooded black guy <laughs> And it's, yeah, and the, the 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 kid, the youngest of all, <laughs> is sitting next to the black guy in a high chair. Uh, I can just imagine being in the restaurant, and I think I would be the same way. Like, okay, what's yeah, going you're trying on to figure here? out like, who 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 does she belong to? Yeah, so yeah, I, I get a lot of joy just That's you know so with, with that. Yeah, what are some of the some of the struggles that you've had? I know that you've had some fun like grocery store experiences and stuff like that, and. I mean, I'd like to get into a little bit of that because I think that a lot of these, a lot of our listeners are adoptive parents and right. maybe they're looking at this just not knowing another perspective and they're kind of not knowing what to do and they want to do the right thing but um, are afraid to ask right. or haven't been handed the tools. And so that's that's part of what I want to get it, or that's mostly what I want to get into tonight. And you have you are so unique in this situation because you are in the adoption world and you can also speak to this firsthand. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think, um, like I've said probably a couple of times so far, um, I try not to be naive Mm -hmm. with reality, right? There are things that I am very conscious of and I am very mindful of um, in just my everyday, everyday activity I pick them up. So our foster, our youngest bio and our foster daughter go to daycare together. They, mm-hmm. they attend the same daycare. And I pick them up three, four days a week. I drop them off and pick them up from daycare on my way to work and obviously coming home from work. Mm-hmm. And I drop them off. And then there are times when um, on my way home, I stop to pick them up. And I think oh, we need something. There's some kind of grocery item that we need for the house. Mm-hmm. And like we had a dog food, for example, or... We're out of milk, and we have. I mean, we need Just milk. It's like a catastrophe, right? <laughs> we cannot get home with no milk. <laughs> Subconsciously, I am aware that if I'm stopping in the grocery store with um, our foster daughter, that I'm going to get those looks that mm. you know I described earlier, and I don't know what that means. Well, and without Ashley there right. too, exactly. there's right. I don't know what that means. Right? I don't know what potential risk I am putting not not just myself but them as well mm-hmm. um, in in that someone may not trust that I am that you have legal charge right, of I, yeah I am playing a role that I'm you know the factual role that I'm playing in you know with mm-hmm. my kids essentially uh, <clears throat> excuse me so I, I subconsciously think of this and with that I then plan my day to leave early enough so that I can stop at the grocery store ahead of picking them up mm-hmm. and then going home. Um, Which th- let's just be real here. I mean, unless you do not, I mean, you guys can't see him, but he does not look like a creeper. And <laughs> unless a white dude really looked like a creeper, that's not something he would have to worry about. Right. And I would say in today's America, mm-hmm. um, if a white male were to wa- walk into the grocery store with a black kid, Right we would automatically, most of us would automatically deduce that he is caring for that child. <clears throat> um, if, a black, if a black man walked into the grocery store with a Caucasian kid, just one-on-one, no, 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 no other family or anyone else mm-hmm. um, with them, we would hesitate right. for a second and wonder, why is he with her? Right. And that's what I'm I subconsciously think about in in deciding can I go to the grocery store with mm-hmm. her? Um, should I go to the grocery store with her? Um, even though I know I I can, like there's no one stopping me from doing so. But right. it's it's the is that wonder of if someone calls the cops, then then what? Like how you know, do I want to have to deal with that? Do I want to have to just because someone suspects that I right. um I have someone's kid that is obviously not mine. So I, I you know, I just those are things that I just I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well and you would never want have... Fiona exactly. to to think there's something wrong with you or the situation. Exactly. Either. And that's exactly why 
like on my way home from work, I do the math of should I pick him up and then go to the grocery store or should I try to go to the grocery store first and then mm-hmm. pick him up? And yeah, that's exactly the reason why I, you know, I, again, I think, I think through those things before I leave for the, leave the office for the day to go. Right. Right. Well, and it takes a stressful situation and just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have another story too, uh, that in, involves a nightmare for any parent, which is taking more than one child uh, into yeah. any uh, sort of restaurant uh, situation yeah. oh, <laughs> and yeah. then having them immediately say, I need to go potty. Like I would just leave. And like, <laughs> oh man. Yes, that was, and you can imagine, cause that was our, my first experience with, um, in the foster care system. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> the, um, story, um, Alex is referencing. This was with our, fa- our first intake foster care intake. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there were a sibling group, uh, brother, sister, and they had just had a visit with mom and dad um, at DHS. So um, I work in Bentonville. We live in Fayetteville. So I their visit was at the DHS office in Bentonville. So mm-hmm. after the visit, obviously, I, you know, I work up there, so it was convenient. I'll just swing by and pick them up, and then we'll come back home. So I swing by, pick them up, and then on the drive home, the the little girl, I mean, she's just crying hysterically, just nonstop, and totally understand. She just saw mommy and daddy. She and then she got yanked away and right. put in the car with me to to head home. I mean, she's just crying, top of her lungs, just hysterical. And driving from Bentonville to Fayetteville, that's a long drive and a long endurance of listening to you know. <laughs> Windows rolled up. Rolled Again, up. a nightmare for any parent in any situation. <laughs> so I'm on, on the drive home, I decided, you know what? I will stop at McDonald's and get her a Happy Meal, a shake, anything, just to <laughs> calm her down, you know, um, just to help her, um, yeah, calm down. So we stop at the McDonald's on Joyce mm-hmm. um, by the mall. <clears throat> it's in Fayetteville. In Fayetteville. Sorry. Yeah. I know not everybody is from. No, no, it's fine. So Bentonville <laughs> is where Walmart headquarters is. Tim does not work for Walmart. He works right. for its brother, Sam's Club. But it um it's like what, thirty minutes away from Fayetteville, right. like top to bottom. Yep. So So um so anyway we stop in uh McDonald's and obviously my thought was let's go inside. We can take our time, she can stretch her legs. Excuse me. Um and so we park and then as soon as we walk in the door, um Older brother decides that he needs to go use the bathroom. He needs to use. He needs to go potty. And in my head, again, the math. You know, I just start running the math in my head. I'm like, oh man, um, this is going to be hard because I clearly cannot. You no, know, she's. I think how old was she? She was three. He was. No, she was two. He was four. Hmm. Um, I have to take her. Like I can't. Yeah, and he, I can't send him to the bathroom by himself. He's four years old, and I can't leave her out here. She's two years old. I got to take her with me. And can't I go walk, in the women's bathroom. I can't go in the women's bathroom. <laughs> and, I, I mean, we walk in the door, and obviously people are looking. You know, everyone turns to look and see who just walked in, and they're staring at this, you know, this six-foot-three black guy with two Caucasian kids, one in his <laughs> arm, one he's holding, and the other, you know, walking, holding his arm. And we make a quick dash to the bathroom, right? And I'm thinking, no joke, I prepped myself mentally to walk out to the cops waiting for me. Right. Which, sadly, is not, I mean, that that could have happened right. easily. I mean, it didn't happen, thankfully. But yes, that I, that, I mentally prepared myself to, for that to be the case. Mm. Like, I would walk out and there would be cops waiting, you know, to question me why who i was obviously and you know why do i you know who are these kids that are with me and, and so on mm. um but you know like i said that didn't happen but again that's those are things that i have to deal with right um am i being overreactive possibly am i being um i don't know paranoid or i, I don't know maybe i am to a degree right but I think, again, just the the world we live in today, mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's far-fetched. Right. Uh, maybe the environment we live in, as in Northwest Arkansas, we're good. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. Anywhere else in the country or other parts of the country, I'm, yeah, that may, that may have yeah. been true reality for someone else right. that looked like me that was in the same scenario as I was. Well, just, I mean, three hours away down in Little Rock. Right. I mean, that's... Or- not to mention like Detroit or something. Right, like. exactly. Yeah. So I think I think, but yeah, I think it's just a, it's just something you know that I have to deal with um, being in the um, family uh, multiracial dynamic mm-hmm. that I'm I'm in. It's just the reality that I have to deal with. And right. uh, with our foster daughter, for example, um, she's obviously we're still working through their case, and uh, we're going. We're still in, on the path of uh, reunification uh, with with her her bio parents. Um, but should should that for whatever reason switch to um, adoption? Right, mm-hmm. we've we've clearly um, no question. Right, yeah. there's no question. We've shared with the with the with the state that we were open to adopting her, mm-hmm. and I'm a hundred percent, you know, one hundred percent, two hundred percent on board with that happening. Mm-hmm. Right, but <clears throat> so obviously I've had I've run everything through my mind. What would that look like if we were to adopt her? And she was to, you know, become truly one of one of us. Right. Today, she knows. I don't believe she knows any different. I'm, I'm just being honest. This is my relationship with her. Right. I'm basing I'm basing my comment off of. Um, but she will get to a point where she will start to realize and start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've mentally, you know, thought through how would I answer those questions? How would Ashley answer those questions? Would she start to resent me, or would she start to resent us? Because right. it's pretty obvious that she doesn't belong, right? She doesn't. She would not look anything like her siblings because her siblings are mixed, and by true definition, honestly, society would society defines or identifies her siblings as black, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, would she? Yeah, would she start to resent us? Would she start to be rebellious because? She she's doesn't. a youngest child, so she's already a little rebellious. <laughs> no, yeah, no joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I've started. I've, I've thought through these things and and wondered what that would look like. But I that does not deter me from, you know, the fact that if we were to go down that path, there's no question. Yes, mm-hmm. I, we would we would take her in, and we would yeah, we're open to adopting her. The way that having um, a very colorful family has changed the way that we approach certain things um, because we're we're intentional about making sure we are close friends with families who are also very colorful or have other adopted children or the parents were adopted and having that as kind of a constant dialogue and being part of our normal um, is something that's really important to us to show the kids that it's not something completely different or out of the ordinary. There are a lot of other families like us um, and just making sure that they have role models and interactions and getting out of our bubble and making sure we're taking them to cultural events and things like that so that they are more familiar with um, a colorful setting of people. Today I'm sitting down with Faith Gboss, who you work with um, the Marshallese Education Initiative, is that right? Yes, the Marshallese Educational Initiative. Awesome. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about just yourself and what you do. Well, I am their special projects director. Um, I've been with MEI since conception, uh, 2013. So um, I was one of the founding board members. Then I left for another job. So I've been back with MEI for about a month now as their special projects director. Awesome. And are you originally from the Marshall Islands, or were you born in the U.S.? I was born in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, but I am Marshallese. Gotcha. So are you are you first generation, or were your parents born here too? Yes, I'm first generation. That's so awesome. So 
Um, obviously, you know so much about the culture. You work within, you know, a, a education for um, Marshallese initiative and your parents are Marshallese, your whole family is a Marshallese. So I'm so excited to be able to chat with you because especially in this area of the country, we have so many, um, so many Marshallese adoptions. And that's part of the point of this episode is just to just to talk about how we as adoptive parents can do better to preserve culture and to make sure that um, that our kids know where they came from and know who they are. Um, so to jump in a little bit to that, how how is adoption viewed in the Marshallese community? <clears throat> well, um, really, uh, you know, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, we literally live by those words. Um, community and family is everything to Marshallese people. So um, really, adoption, and it's kind of second nature. So if I had a sister that couldn't have a baby and I had plenty um, or, you know, four or three or four, I would give her one of mine. And it's that's a natural thing for Marshallese to do, to give um, family members one of their babies um, so that they could be blessed with a child. <clears throat> and, that ha- and that goes for... Um, that goes for extended families as well. It could be, we don't see each other as generational cousins. We're, if we're cousins in some way, then we're cousins. It's not first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, or, um, or if they're my auntie, if they're, it's, it's kind of, the way that we, if they're related to my mom, if they're the same generation as my mom or my dad, and uh, they, they would be my auntie or my uncle. So it's that's kind of how we see each other as family. And, um, and so giving one of our children up for adoption to our family members is natural and um, something that's done often in our community. Um, giving our children outside of the community, that's something that has um, has started, you know, in the last 20, 20, 30 years. So it's still somewhat new to, to the Marshallese people. And now I know that, I mean, I, I, I kind of know the answer to this question, but I know that there has been some confusion on the part of the Marshallese community on what exactly that adoption means when it's to um, when it's to people outside of the Marshallese community, right? Right. Yeah, because it's completely different. Um, you know, it's usually a closed adoption with our family members. It, we grow up. You know, if I were to adopt, because I adopted my, I our youngest is adopted. She's adopted by our um, my husband's cousin, and um, from my husband's cousin, and she knows her as auntie, and but she also knows that that's her adopted mom. I mean, that's her real mom, and um, so it's it's different. Um, you know, we raise each other's children, and whenever you adopt outside of the community, outside the Marshallese. Um, you know, it's, a, it's usually a closed adoption, and so, um, and so, that's that's something that's misunderstood a lot with with women giving up their children for adoption. Right, and so, I, I th- that's why I think this conversation is so important because we're able to talk about those misunderstandings. And I know that just legally, there's a lot of work being done to prevent that from happening um, going forward. And I know you've been a part of that to various degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so um, on that note, how can, how can we want to talk about in this conversation, how we as the adoptive parents and I, and you've adopted as well, but it obviously was within your community. So it's a bit different, but as white people, you know, how can, how can we as the adoptive parents be, be better? Um, And I think that even though specifically where we live, 
there are there's a huge Marshallese population and there's still so little known about such an awesome culture. Um, so what do you think? What are some of the things about Marshallese culture that adoptive parents should definitely know? Well, um, you know, I think one of the things is, and I understand there's, you know, there's some insecurities with, with, with families that are adopting, um, outside their culture and, um, and not really understanding the culture. I think understanding the culture would be one of the things that, that, um, that people should, should do before adopting, you know, someone out that's not of their race or from their country. And, <clears throat> I think that would help, that would help the child to understand where they came from if they don't live in a, live in a, a, an area that has such a large population of Marshallese people. But also that Marshallese, they're always going, the family will never think of them as someone else's child. The family is always going to think of them as part of their family. And so, um, but they're not trying to, trying to take the child back in any way, but they're always going to consider them as family and they will adopt the American family or non-Marshallese family as, you know, their brother or sister, whoever took the child. So, you know, it's, it's all about the sense of family and keeping the family together and keeping the family close. But yeah, there's just, I, I think just understanding our culture, the way that our fam, uh, the way that we are view our sense of family, I think that's something that should be studied by anyone adopting from any culture, really, not just Marshallese. But yeah, I, I met, um, I met a family that came from South Carolina. We just celebrated our constitutional day here in Arkansas, and um, this family came. They adopted three children from the Marshall Islands and four, I think, from Uganda or something. And um, <clears throat> but you know, they they came to observe, you know, what we do, and um, because the children haven't been back for a while, but I just thought it was, you know, it was really neat how. Still, even though they don't know anything about their culture, they're really eager to know everything about their culture. And, um, and the family was, was open to, you know, to bringing them here, driving all the way from South Carolina to, to show them parts of their culture. And so it was really neat to see their eyes light up because they see so many Marshallese people and they felt like they could they felt a, a sense of identity, I think, in seeing people that are like them. Because um, they said that there are no islanders in South Carolina that they know of. And so, um, so it's usually just, you know, I, I think they said there's a huge Asian community and a huge Hispanic community, but no islanders in that part of it where they grew up. So I think seeing people from where they come from was um, was really good for them. And, and yeah, they, they wanted to know where all the Marshallese stores were so that they could buy handicrafts. And, and they met a lot of their family members here that were here. And it was, it was a good reunion for them. That's really cool. And so I think, I mean, my first question would be, I know that you said that you, you thought that was neat. Um, but in these, in these interviews that we've been doing for these episodes, we've talked a lot about the fear on the part of adoptive parents, just that they won't belong or that they feel uncomfortable. And so how do you think, I mean, do you think that everyone else there shared your view that this was a good thing, that this was awesome and, um, encouraging or, uh, or do you think that, <clears throat> that they, they saw that as an offense, like you don't, you know, to the American or the um, adoptive parents, excuse me, just like you don't belong here, this isn't your thing, or or do you think it was accepted by everyone? 
No, I feel like it was accepted by everyone. Um, the children, they grew up well. They're all in college right now. And um, just to see them having a good life and that they had a happy life, I think that's what we want for our, for any child. And, um, and for every child that's adopted, really. But, um, but the fact that the family was here and they engaged in the activities and took pictures and looked for other family members that they were related to, I think that all contributed to, um, to, you know, them not feeling like they were isolated or that they were not a part of the community. I think they all felt like they were somewhat a part of the community. Um, Marshleys are accept they're pretty accepting. There are those that don't want um, children to be adopted outside of the community and they have strong views about that because they want the culture to stay within the in the child but um, but you know there are a lot that that embrace people who love our children and so you know it goes both ways. Yeah. And I mean, that brings me to another question was that how can adoptive parents better honor their kids' culture and heritage um, to kind of find that compromise there? Yeah, I think just being open to taking them to Marshley's functions, like uh, we have like our first birthdays, they're very important. And so if they hear that there's a, a birthday party or, you know, that they know of a relative that's having a birthday party, Bringing them to that, that would be, you know, something just, just, you know, engaging them in different, in different um, activities that are very important to Marshallese people, like our Constitution Day. Um, that, that was a huge weekend for us and, um, and, uh, and just learning about our, just teaching, you know, learning about our culture. There's so much online these days. You can just get on the internet and learn as much as you want to learn. So, and I think teaching their chil- their children where they come from and the history of of their culture and the history of why Marshallese and Americans have a relationship. I think all of that is vital for for uh, their kids to to know their identity. Right. And so if you had to pick just a couple of interesting um, interesting parts of the Marshallese culture to share with the listeners, what would they be? Well, yeah, I'm really proud of our sense of community and how we take care of each other. And I mean, it doesn't matter um, if we're not first cousins, if even if we don't know each other, but we know that we're related. If we just met, we're going to treat each other like we're, we've known each other forever um, because they're our family we we accept them as our family we love them um, just like we love our brothers and our sisters and our aunties and uncles that we've known all of our life so um, I think that's one thing that that is great about our culture I think that's it really just our sense of community and how we how we stick together how we love how we love to be how we love to keep our culture alive, even if we haven't been to the Marshall Islands in in so many years. Some have never even been to the Marshall Islands, but um, but they know our customs and and they know songs and they know how to speak Marshallese. And so I think just keeping our culture alive, I think that's one thing that that we strive to do, and and I'm proud of that. And I think that's so great. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier and you were talking about that family from North Carolina and how they didn't know of any other, um, any other island, uh, islanders that lived there. And growing up in Missouri, you know, like I said, I know that there's a large Marshallese community here, um, in our part of the country. Is there in Missouri too? Or do you, uh, do you understand that kind of isolation? Did you feel like you had a large community where you grew up? Oh no, my parents, they were the only Marshallese in Missouri for a while. And um 
I think sixth grade, it was sixth grade whenever my brother and sister came from the Marshall Islands. And uh, because they, my parents came here to go to school and they left the two older children in the Marshall Islands because they were only supposed to be gone for a couple years. But then I was born and then, then they had more children. And so it got harder to go back to the Marshall Islands. <laughs> so we were in the, we were in Springfield. Um, and we were the only Marshallese family for many years. And then, um, sixth grade, my brother and sister came from the Marshall Islands. My, my parents finally saved enough money to bring them over. And, and then from then, we just looked for other Marshallese communities. And they were all outside of Missouri. We would drive, we would drive to, um, Oklahoma. We'd drive to Arkansas. Justifying Texas, justifying other Marshallese people to do, to being, to engage in, um, in Marshallese functions. And so, so yeah, that's, I, I wasn't, I was in sixth grade before I was introduced to anything in my culture. And, um, and now, um, in Springfield, there's probably seven families, eight families that live in, in Springfield. And so this, the, the community is still very small in Missouri, but, um, and so moving here, it's only two hours from Springfield to Springdale was kind of culture shock for me. And the diversity, it it was just so different from where I grew up because, um, there isn't a large uh, Islander community in, in, um, in Springfield either. So I could identify with what that lady was, what the kids were saying, how, you know, so yeah, I could identify, I, I could identify with her when she was telling me, you know, this is so, this is so neat to see so many Marshallese. And, um, <clears throat> because that's kind of how it was for me too. <laughs> yeah. Growing up. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's important to note how, I mean, how far you guys went to try and find other Marshallese people or just a sense of community that you traveled states. And to think yeah. that that could be what a kid is growing up in, that they, they're isolated. They just don't feel like they fit in or they feel, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say left out because obviously, I mean, we would hope that they would be in a loving family, but just to feel like they, they don't look like those other people and they want to find, uh, people who share their heritage and share their culture. I, I mean, imagine being a kid who didn't have the ability to travel states or who had parents that didn't, didn't have that much concern for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why there is, somewhat of a stigmatism with some of, you know, the Marshallese people and adopting outside of the community is because of that very reason. They want every Marshallese child to know where they come from and and to know their identity um, as Marshallese. Even here with this huge community, we're still influenced by Western culture and were influenced by American, the American culture. So it's slightly changing and, um, and it changes with every generation. It gets, so it, we're trying our hardest to keep it preserved and, um, and, um, but you know, it, uh, there, there's thing, uh, things that, um, influence our children. And so our, our culture here is different than the culture in Marshall Islands, but we still try very hard to keep it, um, keep it as close to, to, you know, what it is in, in the Marshall Islands. It's just, but it, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so if you were to, Give, um, if you were to give advice just to two different people groups. So first of all, if you were to give advice to a child, a Marshallese child who's been adopted and they, maybe they do feel left out or maybe they don't have a great sense of community wherever they are. Um, what would you, what would you say to them to learn more about where they come from and who they are? Uh, well, if they didn't have access to, to the internet, I think that's the, that's the thing that teaches all of us how, you know, um, so much about our culture because a lot of everything 
we're not in history books. The relationship with the U.S. and the Marshallese and how uh, – I, I didn't know any of that until I was – until, until I was an adult. Wow. And, and, um, and yeah, so I learned so much after the fact, after, after I had already gone to college and, um, and it, we're not in the history books. And so, um, everything that you can learn about our culture, um, textbook wise is really on the internet. Um, and then there's a lot of books out there. Um, one that um, Gift Johnson wrote, "Don't Ever Whisper." That's a good. That's a good book about our our history. And um, don't ever whisper. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And but I would, you know, I would tell them to just try and find Marshallese communities if they know. Um, if they know that they're Marshallese, try to find Marshallese communities that are, are near or, and um, so that they could somehow engage in different functions that we have here. And um, I, I don't really know. I don't know, like, what, if, if they were limited. <laughs> I don't uh, yeah, internet. Yeah, you know. Uh, Absolutely, and I'll link to that book. Don't ever whisper in the show notes, um, so you guys can check it out. But um, I wanted to ask, and this is a little bit of a side note, but you know, you were talking about you didn't you didn't realize why the Marshall Islands and the United States have the connection that they do. Do you think there's any resentment on the part of the Marshallese um, people for for all of that? I, even though I know it was a long time ago, but still. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but our people are still suffering because of what happened. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, sicknesses are very um, prevalent in, in cancer and um, cancer and diabetes are the two two worst sicknesses that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and then and there was just there's unknown sicknesses that we're now dealing with. And that doctors don't understand why our people are having these different sicknesses. So yeah, it's still, even though it was a long time ago, our land is still, um, contaminated and we don't, my husband's from Bikini. He's never been there. And I'm from Runglup. I've never been there. Um, so, you know, it's, we can't just go visit our, our land and live on our land. Um, so yeah, it is still, it's, it's still, um, something that we deal with every day. And so, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say that people are, um, bitter. I think we just want, we don't want the different stigmatisms, um, here in America. That's something that bothers me that we're, you know, illegal or that, you know, we're, because most of our people are at poverty or low, that we're here, you know, to live off of Americans. I mean, that, that's the, these are some of the stigmatisms that we deal with here in Arkansas. And um, so that's something that bothers me personally. Yeah. And, but, but I wanted to say also you know, the opportunities that we've had here in America and the opportunity to live in America and to be able to come back and forth because of the sacrifice that our people made um, for the U.S. military, I think also a blessing because I feel like um, our our kids are, are getting a better education here. Um the education in Marshall Islands is getting better, but it's um, pretty low in comparison to the educational standard here in America. And um, the living, you know, is I, I believe is is better. Living in a three bedroom, two bath house here in America is is standard. But if you had that in the Marshall Islands, that's like that's a mansion. And so, um, so I, I believe the quality of, um, 
of life is is different. It, it's different. I don't want to say it's better. It's just different. And um, but it's it's a blessing to be here in America. But there are you know we still deal with the effects of what happened um, from all the testings of the bombs in the forties and fifties and sixties. <laughs> so yeah. Growing up, like like you said, that there was there was not a lot of Marshallese community where you grew up, but growing up here, you know, you have kids that go to the schools in this area and that have, you know, non-Marshallese peers. So what are some of the ways that adoptive parents might can expect their children to be treated or, or what are some of the things that they might struggle with um, just stereotypically or otherwise? And more specifically, how can those adoptive parents walk their children through these things? I think just loving the child and, um, making them feel secure in themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that really is the answer to um, a child growing up healthy and um, healthy-minded. Uh, not sure. I mean, and, and then I think it would be easier for them to, um, for them to accept that they're different. Because that's one of the things that all adopted children feel. It doesn't matter even if they're a white child being um, adopted by a white family. They feel like an outsider Mm -hmm. if they've been adopted. So I just believe just loving the child as much as they can and, um, and teaching them about their culture, I think that will help them to become... Um, healthy adults and, um, and to be able to, to deal with their differences and, um, and whatever, whatever they might feel, whatever feelings that they might have in being adopted. I think that it would be, um, it would be more accepted. That's, um, one of the things, one of my good friends, she has started a nonprofit um, to help, to help, um, parents adopt children. Uh, her name is Renee Sasser. She's, she's, uh, adopted a lot of children and, um, they came from broken homes and she just loved them. That's, she just loved them. And, and now they're healthy adults that they know that they've been adopted and they love people and they're, they're good people and that that's basically what she did she kept she let them know that you know what she that they were Marshallese and and taught them um what she could teach them about their culture and um but you know they grew up in Kansas City away from a Marshallese community but they're healthy and loving adults and I, she's, she's, yeah, she's an inspiration. Definitely. Well, yeah, thank you for that. And, um, yeah, did you have anything else that you would want to share with our listeners? And like I said, I mean, most of the, most of the listeners for this area, they might have, a, they might have Marshallese children that they've adopted or that are in their home and they're, they're wanting to do better. They're wanting to, uh, you know, not disappoint those, those people who frown upon, you know, um, adoptions outside of the Marshallese community. They want to make them proud and, and, and show these kids who they are and how to be proud of uh, being Marshallese. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of, um, we have two nonprofits here, um, Arkansas Coalition of um, Marshallese, and then we have the Marshallese Educational Initiative. Then we also have, um, we also have the, uh, KBE Annex Office, which is um, the office for the Bikini Atoll government in the Marshall Islands. It's an annex to that office. And and then we have the consulate office here, the RMI consulate office. So there are lots of point of references that people can can come to to want to know, hey, what, I, I adopted a child from the Marshall Islands. And I just need to know what's going on so I can get them involved in the culture and somehow and learn more about the culture. And we can guide them to, 
you know, whatever birthday is going on, at what time, where, and um, when, or whatever special function that might be happening um, with our with our different organizations, and they could get that sense of community um, that way. I would encourage all adopted parents to to try and reach out to the Marshallese community and and introduce your children to to their culture um, and not to be not to be um, scared to do that because we as a community embrace embrace it we embrace um, families that are wanting their kids to know more about their culture and so um, as a majority I mean there are some but you know there aren't a lot and they, we don't want anyone to feel like an outsider. So, um, I would just encourage just to try it and, and to, and to see how, how it goes. <laughs> you, you never know until you, until you, until you actually do it. So hopefully their experience will be good. <laughs> I just wanted to be educated. I have just wanted to um, branch out and just reach out to um, people of other races and just ask questions and just um, know that I'm not going to know all the answers and know that always have them understand where where their history comes from. And and I think also just in our world today, just race, racial tension has we're more aware now of what's happening now and we want to be educated and we want to know how to answer these questions for them. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I think it's so important and I just wanted to give a couple caveats and some things that are on my heart. As adoptive parents, it's our job to help our children in this. Um, this is so hard, but we want to walk that balance beam between making our kids feel incredibly loved and wanted and cherished but also raising them to love who they are and have absolutely no shame in it. It's our responsibility to not feign colorblindness, but to see and fully love and appraise and celebrate their ethnicity and their heritage. Um, I also want to reiterate that this is absolutely not another white woman trying to claim this conversation. I want to be the most effective ally that I can be and simply be the catalyst for this topic. This is why it was so imperative that I not rely on the opinions of white parents of minority children, but I just wanted to feature guests who could actually teach us something, not just share experiences gleaned from their children. I would never want that to sound harsh or to shame adoptive parents who are doing the absolute best they can. Um, and there are some great opinions out there of parents who have walked this road with their, ch- with their minority um, ethnicity children. But I just desperately want my heart to be seen in this. And so I appreciate you guys for listening and look out for episode two coming next week. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at the adoptive mom podcast.com. Thanks again for listening.